Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. It's great to be with all of our listeners today, and we're so thankful to have the ability and the means and the opportunity to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and study with us in person. Our Bible classes begin Sunday morning, 930 followed by worship at 10.30. We come back together on Sunday evenings for an evening period of worship at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening. And on Wednesday evenings, we have midweek Bible classes at 6.30 every Wednesday evening. You're always welcome, and we encourage you to come and check us out, get to know us, let us get to know you, and study and grow spiritually with us as we worship God and get into His Word in a more deep fashion. Now, Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street. But we know that there are people who listen across the country and literally around the world. And so you're not going to be able to be with us in person, but we're thankful that we can be together in spirit as we study together through these podcasts over the internet. We encourage you and we encourage you to encourage others by sharing these studies with everybody you can on a regular basis through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody get into God's Word, come closer to God, turn their life around, and ultimately get to heaven. What a great blessing for them but it's also a great blessing for you. So make that commitment and start sharing today and every day with everybody you can. Also encourage others to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and that is they will receive all of this to their smart device, whether that's their smartphone or computer or laptop or pad or tablet, whatever they choose. And they'll also receive a daily Monday through Friday radio program, Search the Scriptures. And I really consider this to be a gem, a seven-day-a-week short Bible study, only about 13 minutes long, each day called Today's Bible Class. All of that will automatically go to their smart device. And again, it always will be free. So pass on the word, encourage as many people as you can, and continue to do so and continue to study with us. We're going to get back into our study in 1 John. We're in chapter 3. Uh, we've taken some time, as we've done through all of these New Testament books that we have studied through uh, in, these, in, in these podcast Bible studies. Now, in 1 John chapter 3, as we looked at the first three verses, it was really a continuation of the last two verses of chapter 2, and we took some time to emphasize the importance of that identification that John uses as speaking to us as children of God, or God's children, and children of God in verse 2 of chapter 3, little children in verse 28 of chapter 2. And so we talked about how special that identity is. 
really, truly indicating that God has adopted us into his spiritual family, that is the church, as we became Christians, baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, Acts chapter 2 and verse, uh, verse 38. Now, again, as John wrote in his gospel account, in first, uh, rather in, in John chapter 1 and verse 16, or verse 12, rather, he talked about how those who had become true, faithful, obedient followers of Christ would have the opportunity to become children of God. Again, you don't become something that you already are. And so I spent some time trying to, you know, get us, help us get a clearer understanding of who really are the true children of God in this most important sense. Now, a lot of people, in fact, most people might say we're all children of God. Well, not in the sense that John is bringing out here. Because again, you don't become something that you already are. We looked in Romans chapter 8 and in Galatians chapter 4, where it talks about how as we become Christians, God adopts us into his family, adopts us as his children. Well, again, you don't adopt your own children. You adopt children who are not your own children. So again, the idea that everybody is God's child We'd have to think about that only in the very, very loosest sense of the expression in that we're all created by God. But in this most important sense that John has brought out, children of God, his spiritual family, his church through Jesus Christ, that's not, that does not apply to everybody because most people are not a part of the Lord's church. Most people have not been baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. Most people have not come to God in his way through Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that this is a limited, very limited, very specific identification that most people do not truly bear. Now, that would upset a lot of people, but I would suggest you get upset with God because we're simply reading from his word and understanding his word as it is written. You don't become something that you already are. Your parent does not adopt you. Somebody else adopts you as their child. So God adopts us as we become true Christians as we become true Christians. And Jesus in John or in Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14, he said most people are not on the road that leads to eternal life in heaven. He even went farther than that in verses 21 through 23 and said even a whole lot of people who call him Lord and think they're doing mighty works in his name are not walking with him faithfully and accurately. And so we need to get to understand that we're talking about an identity that is limited, an identity also that the devil has clouded the minds of a whole lot of people as to, because you talk to people all over the place, and they can be living in 
outright sinful lifestyles, and they still think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good with God. I'm right with God. I love God so much. I have such a great relationship with him. And they are in their very lifestyles, day in and day out, contradicting and violating the teachings of God's word. So we need to understand that this is a very special identity. Calling ourselves a Christian, attending some denomination that says they're Christian, but they're teaching contradictory to God's word, living with some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that, oh, I have this great relationship with God, but I'm not living by his teachings. We need to get those thoughts out of our head and come back to the reality that God's word teaches us as to truly being his children. Now, I want us to pick up with verse 4. And this is another important point that we need to understand. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now think about sin is lawlessness. John spent considerable time in the first chapter of 1 John talking to Christians about their sin at times. But he was not beating us up, saying, you are no good, rotten, low-down, dirty sinners. No, he's, he's saying, look, be realistic. You commit sin. There are times when you mess up, even as Christians, even trying to live as faithful a life as you can, you still mess up at times and you commit sin. But God is faithful to forgive if you'll confess your sins to him and seek forgiveness through prayer in the name of Christ. And so, He's encouraging us as, as well as at the same time warning us against being, oh, just kind of casual in our mindset, you know, come see, come sigh, uh, you know, just careless in our thinking about sinning, even as Christians. It's no, no, you, you don't need to have that kind of careless attitude and mindset. But when you do, even when you're trying to do your best, when you do still stub your toe and make a mistake, Understand, okay, when you sin, that's sin. And sin separates us from God if we're living in sin. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. And so seek God's forgiveness quickly. Repent of that sin and seek his forgiveness quickly in prayer through the name of Christ. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 15, and, and there's something here that we need to understand at the end of verse 4 here in 1 John chapter 3, John says, sin is lawlessness. Sin also commits lawlessness. Now, we're not necessarily talking about the laws of the land, although that there could be an application there in some specific ways, but he's talking about lawlessness from God's perspective, spiritual lawlessness. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 15, Romans chapter 4 and in and, and verse 15, the Apostle Paul wrote, because the, law, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. And in chapter 5, in verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. And so we need to understand that God holds us accountable for living by his spiritual law. 
Now, there, again, there are a lot of people who are misinformed, who misunderstand the scriptures, and they talk about, we don't live under law today. Of course we live under law today. Go back and read Romans chapter 14. We live under the law of the land, and that our response to that law is amenable to God's law, to God through his law. It's part of his law that we live responsibly and obediently and respectfully under the laws of the land, as long as those laws don't violate God's law. There's always been spiritual law, and we need to understand that principle. Going back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, God established law. He said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. In Genesis chapter 3, when they disobeyed God and broke that law, God punished them by expelling them from the Garden of Eden so they could no longer have access to the tree of life. So physical death became a reality for them and for all of mankind. But they also needed forgiveness. They needed redemption. And God already had the plan in mind, Genesis 3 and verse 15, through his son sending Jesus into this world to die on the cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. All of that is reflecting God's spiritual law under which all mankind lives. Whether they recognize it or not, whether they realize it or not, God always has had law for us to live under from a spiritual perspective. In verse 5, in verse 5, and, and again, we need to understand sin is transgression of the law. Sin is breaking the law. Let's go on with verse 5. You know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Who was manifested to take away our sins? Jesus. Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. Now, if we go back to John again, and uh, well, let's, let's, let's look here at, at, at 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 2. And again, that text is a great text, 1 John chapter 1. But verse 2, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and desire, or rather declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Jesus came to give us the opportunity to have eternal life in heaven with him and with God the Father. Now, we go back to John, the gospel account according to John, and we look at chapter 1 and verse 29. And what does John the Immerser the cousin of Jesus, the one whom God prepared and sent forth to prepare the way for the coming Savior. In verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's exactly what John writes here in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 3. And you know that he was manifested, Jesus was brought forth into this world in human form, 
to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. In Christ there is no sin. He lived a sinless life on this earth, and yet he experienced all of the kinds of temptations, basically, that that we experience in our physical lives as human beings. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus was tempted. He was not insulated from the temptations of the devil while he lived his physical life in this world. And then in chapter 4 of Hebrews, in verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Jesus lived a perfect life from a spiritual perspective in this world without sin. And that was part of what qualified him to be that perfect one-time-for-all-time sacrifice on that cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. We come back to 1 John chapter 3. We move on to verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, so what does John mean when he says, going back to verse 5, in him, that is, in Christ, there is no sin. Well, we can take that in the most basic sense, as we read in Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 4, in that Jesus never sinned. He was faced with all the kinds of temptations that all of mankind is faced with. The devil worked on him. He worked on him, I think we can understand from the very beginning. He worked on him when he was fasting in the wilderness for those 40 days. But Jesus did not succumb to the temptation. He did not sin. He gave us the ultimate example of abstaining from sin, of overcoming the temptations with which the devil confronts us. But now, let's look at this in a more personal way. When John says, in verse 5, in him there is no sin. And then in verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. And whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Okay. Now here's where, as my understanding goes, the diffic- a difficulty in translating from the Greek into the English comes into play. Now if we, if we look at this and say, I'm already lost because I, I, I sinned. Even as a Christian, I've, I've, I've committed sins. So no hope for me. That's not what the text means. But the idea there is, the sense is, if you again go back into the Greek, it's the sense that a true follower of Christ, a faithful, dedicated, obedient follower of Christ, does not live in a lifestyle of sin. Now, here's where a whole lot of people need to stop and study more carefully because they're living lifestyles of sinfulness. And that, 
that comes forth in their life in different ways. Some of them are living in sexual immorality on an ongoing basis. They're not following the teachings of God's word as to, as to purity and righteousness in their sexual life. They're living with someone to whom they're not married or they're just going from woman to woman or man to man or they're violating God's law on, on you know, heterosexual heterosexuality and they're committing sinfulness through homosexuality in different ways and, and or else they're they're living lifestyles of of violence or hatred they use profanity all of the time all day long in their language you see the examples can go on and on and on they're living lifestyles that are sinful and so John is saying, if you're really in Christ, if you're really living with your Lord, if God is in you, Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, then you're not living a sinful lifestyle. Now, going back to chapter 1 in 1 John, are you going to make a mistake here and there and commit a sin? Yes. But God understands, and he's not excusing that. He says you need to confess those sins and seek his forgiveness in prayer through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, but you, you're going to make some mistakes here and there. But that's different than living in a sinful lifestyle day in and day out. We go on to verse 7. Little children, there's that designation again, that identity. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Okay, so there's the converse, the other side of the ledger. He he has already said, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. But now he who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. That is, if we're living a righteous lifestyle, notwithstanding we're going to make mistakes here and there, but those are mistakes. It's not a lifestyle. There are people who are living sinful lifestyles. That is their lifestyle. They're living in sin. And that separates us from God. Again, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. But if we're living a righteous lifestyle, then we're living in faithfulness before God in Christ. In verse 8, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Again, who is the author of all sin? The devil. He is the great tempter. He is always at work. He is always trying to bring us down. He is always presenting us with temptations to sin. And we have to always be on guard against those temptations and also against succumbing to those temptations. When we look at James chapter 1, beginning with verse 12, James wrote, blessed is the man who endures temptation. And the idea there is he endures it without giving in to it. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed and desire 
And, and when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Well, okay. So what does John write here in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8? He who sins is of the devil. Now, he who continues to live in a lifestyle of sin is not following Christ, not walking with God. What does James say in James chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8? Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands of your sins, you evildoers. So we we have to step out of sin and into Christ. And why are we baptized? Well, for salvation, Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, but also for forgiveness. Acts 2 and verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Acts 22, verse 16, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. So we have to come out of those sinful lifestyles. And that's where a lot of people find themselves really, really struggling. They don't want to come out of those sinful lifestyles. Not sufficiently to make the move. You have to make up your mind. Are you going to walk with God or are you going to walk with the devil? And if you're living in a sinful lifestyle, you're walking with the devil. Don't delude yourself. Don't let the devil think you're okay or make you think you're okay. You're not. You have to come out of those sinful lifestyles. Obedience to Christ, obedience to his teachings is key to making that move. And then verse 9, John goes on and says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. That is, does not continue to live in sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. He has been transformed, as the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. And there Paul wrote, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And in verse 1, he said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. You see, now, by that transformation, are we talking about somehow we are programmed, we can never commit a sin? That, that's, again, back in chapter 1, John, he quashed that possible thought. He said, he's writing this to Christians. He says, now you're still making some mistakes. But that's not a lifestyle of sinfulness. And so we need to stop deluding ourselves into thinking that we can live in sin on an ongoing basis and somehow still be walking with and be right with God. Uh Uh-uh. Absolute contradiction in lifestyles. We need to wake up. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, 
thank you for giving us your word to guide us so clearly as to the lifestyle that you want us to live, one of faithfulness and obedience and dedication on a consistent basis to you. And you've guide us, you, you guide us into that lifestyle through your word. Thank you, Father, for your word. We give you the praise, the glory, the honor, and the thanks, Father. And we beg you, please forgive us and hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.